We're we're looking for the heart of God in the Gospel of Luke, and this morning we will begin to see some of the things that Jesus, uh, He's going to do some of the things that He said He was going to do last Sunday. And speaking of last week, again, I'd like to just commend Caleb for doing a very fine job uh, with that text. Thank you, brother. Um, And we're going to pick up this morning in verse 31 of Luke chapter 4. Verse 31, Luke chapter 4. It says this, And Jesus went down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, and He was teaching them on the Sabbath. And they were astonished at His teaching, for His word possessed authority. Authority comes from the word author. So authority is something that comes from the original. Right? We usually think of that word as describing power, as like a synonym for power, but it really means more than that. What, what Luke is saying is that Jesus is speaking to the people as if He is the original source. And that's important because every other teacher that these people had ever heard would base their teaching on the words of others. They would quote other people's opinions or speak only from the words in the Bible. No one really offered their own explanations for what was being said except Jesus. He did not copy someone else. And of course, we believe that Jesus had the right to speak with authority because He's the one who authored the Bible. John, in his Gospel, literally starts by calling Jesus the Word. But as we're going to see in just a moment, Jesus doesn't just speak with authority. He acts. He verifies His authority with powerful signs by casting out demons, by healing people. And He does these things by only using His words. And this, of course, is making an important connection with God's Word in the Old Testament. If you know how the Bible reads, very first chapter, what happens? God spoke words and the universe came into existence. And throughout the entire story of the Old Testament, God made verbal promises, and then He did those things. And so in the same way, Jesus speaks, and then He immediately backs up what He's saying with action. I want to pause here and say something to us as Americans. I really think that we struggle to understand or appreciate this kind of authority. Now, the most powerful person in our country is probably, I guess, the president, right? But he doesn't have absolute authority, does he? The president has something called derived authority. He derives it from the Constitution and from the people who elected him. And that power is temporary. Right? Presidents can be impeached. They have term limits. They have limits set by the Constitution on what their office can do and not do. 
But authority with Jesus is different. And I, I feel like I need to take a minute to explain that because we're just not used to thinking about or experiencing authority in this way. So to be clear about what Christians believe, we believe that we are following the author of life. We believe that Jesus has authority over everything in our lives. Because everything in our lives originated or was authored by Him. God's kingdom is not a democracy. I think it's very important that we understand that. Okay, so what this means is that Jesus, as we study this gospel, is going to press in on you the reality of God's kingdom. God owns this world. He owns your life. And He has the authority to tell you who you are and how to live. He has the power to lead you in any direction that He wants for His own reasons. And your vote doesn't count. And that kind of authority makes us very uncomfortable. If we're honest, right? Nobody is just like, oh yeah, that sounds great. I don't get a vote. Sounds good, right? None of us likes to hear that. Not even me. Like We don't like the idea that something outside of us gets to decide who we are and what we're supposed to be doing. And yet, that's the kind of authority that God claims over your life, over my life. But I want you to look at what Jesus does with it. Okay? Because yes, he has it, but look what he does with it. And we're going to read two short stories back to back, beginning in verse 33. It says, And in the synagogue, which was the Jewish place of worship, there was a man who had the spirit of an unclean demon, and he cried out with a loud voice, Ha! What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Now I want you to take note of the fact that the demons know exactly who Jesus is. And we're going to come back to that, but just remember it. Verse 35. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And when the demon had thrown him down in their midst, he came out of him, having done him no harm. And they were all amazed and said to one another, What is this word? For with authority, there it is again, and power he commands the unclean spirits, and they come out. And reports about him went out into every place in the surrounding region. And he arose and left the synagogue and entered Simon's house, now Simon's mother-in-law was ill with a fever, a high fever, and they appealed to him on her behalf. And he stood over her and rebuked the fever, 
rebuked his words, and it left her, and immediately she rose and began to serve them. So I want you to notice that Luke tells us about the teaching of Jesus, but then he immediately gives us two examples of how Jesus used his words of authority, not only to teach, but to do something for others. Jesus used his authority for others. He used it to show people the heart of God. He did not use his authority so that people would bow down and tremble. He is not demonstrating power only for the sake of power. Now, people saw his power and they marveled at it. And sometimes they were very afraid of the things that Jesus was able to do. But Jesus clearly did these things from a heart of compassion, using his authority for the sake of others. Jesus used his authority to drive out demons, showing people that he came to make a difference even in the darkest and most difficult places in this world. He was willing to engage with even the most difficult people. He has the authority to change any life, to author a new story for anyone. Jesus used his power to heal Simon's mother-in-law, and then it says that she immediately begins to serve them. But it's important to see that before she could serve them, she needed to be served. Jesus needed to heal her. He served her, and then she served them. So Jesus shows the people by His kindness, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. Which He Himself would later say. God Himself was a servant. He has the heart of a servant. And this was really only the beginning of his ministry. Look at verse 40. It says this, Now when the sun was setting, all those who had any who were sick with various diseases brought them to Jesus, and he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. And demons also came out of many, crying, You are the Son of God. But he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak, because they knew that he was the Christ. This, that verse is the most interesting and confusing verse in the chapter. So Jesus heals every sick person in this entire village, but then he tries to keep this ministry quiet by silencing the demons. And there are a lot of theories out there about why Jesus would be trying to protect his identity at this point but it really seems pointless because his fame is, is spreading anyway, regardless of what he tells the demons to do or not do. Everybody is starting to hear the name of Jesus and to know that he's capable of doing great things. And so I think there's actually one really simple explanation for why Jesus does this, and it's humility. 
Jesus is demonstrating not just that he's a servant, but that he's a humble servant. He did not do those things in order to make a name for himself. He does these things because he genuinely cared for people. And so we see the heart of God in the ministry of Jesus. And we're going to see it every single week in the Gospel of Luke. A God who cares. A God who serves. A God who is humble. But there's something else here that I don't want you to miss. It's one of the reasons I, I tell you all the time I love the Bible because of things like this. Okay? Luke tells us twice because he doesn't want us to miss it either. In verse 34, the demon-possessed man cried out in the middle of a public synagogue, you are the Holy One of God. Now guys, that is a very direct claim about the identity of Jesus in front of a bunch of witnesses. And maybe the people are in shock because someone is shouting out in worship. Maybe they dismiss the man's words because they know he's crazy or demon-possessed, or right? But they obviously don't walk away believing that Jesus is the Holy One of God or really even asking questions about it. They just completely miss it. And then in verse 41, Luke tells us, that Jesus casts out more demons and that they also make public professions. You are the Son of God. That's even more direct. And so Luke makes it clear to us that the demons had a better understanding of who Jesus was than the humans did. You see, the people were starting to believe that Jesus was a a good teacher and that He was able to perform some miracles. And that's the extent of their knowledge of Christ. But the demons know exactly who Jesus is. And this is something that I hope that you'll really pay attention to. If you don't hear me say anything else, A lot of people assume that they're safe with God because they believe in God or because they know some things about God. You may even accept that Christianity is completely true, but that does not make you safe with God. Believing that what I'm saying is true does not make you safe with God. It does not make you a friend of Jesus. Listen to James chapter 2, verse 19. You believe that God is one. You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. So what's he saying? He's saying you believe there is one true God. Good job. 
But guess what? The demons don't just believe it. They know He exists. They knew Jesus was Him. But they don't love Him. They don't follow Him. They don't like Him. And they certainly don't trust Him. The story of the week in college football was, uh, of course, Deion Sanders at Colorado. And uh, most people already knew who Coach Prime was before he got into coaching, right? He was already famous, but now there's going to be a whole younger generation that knows his name. And yet, knowing his name is not the same thing as loving him, right? And this is true for anybody famous. You may appreciate him as a coach, as a player. You may respect him as a man. You might even fear him if you're playing him next week, right? But that's not necessarily love. Even the Colorado fans will turn on him if he loses every other game this season. Am I right? Because that's what fans do. It's not love. You see, there's a big difference between knowing God exists and loving Him and trusting Him and following Him. It's not just believing in, it's believing on. Jesus would later say that on the last day, many will call out His name presuming that they are His friends and He will say to them, depart from me, I never knew you. Now, Jesus was already becoming famous, right? It says the whole town was gathered at Simon's doorstep to witness these miracles. They could see Jesus doing things that a man shouldn't be able to do, and Jesus kept doing it. Look at how the chapter ends, verse 42. And when it was day, He departed and went into a desolate place. And the people sought Him and came to Him and would have kept Him from leaving them. But he said to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. And he was preaching in the synagogues of Judea. You know, there are a lot of skeptics today who would say, and I've I've had people say this to me, they would say, I would believe in Jesus if I could see him perform some of those miracles that the Bible says he does with my own eyes. Have you ever thought that to yourself, right? Like, if I could just see it, if I could just witness something like that. But y'all, Luke is setting us up with this story. It's not enough to see it. It's not enough because a lot of people saw Jesus do these amazing things and they still were not His friends. They were His fans for a little while. But they were not his friends. They did not trust him. They did not follow him. They even wanted to kill him. Knowing about Jesus does not make us his friend. So what does? The short answer is that we don't make ourselves a friend of Jesus. Jesus makes himself a friend of ours. And there's actually a hint of that in this story. Remember, Jesus had to heal Simon's mother-in-law before she could serve them. 
And that's actually going to be true of all the physical healings in the gospel. They, they all point to this deeper need for spiritual healing. Right? Just as God had to do something that they couldn't do for themselves to be healed, God has to change something at the level of the soul before we can repent and believe and follow Jesus. And again, this bothers us. If you're going to be honest, if this is the, especially if this is the first time you're hearing this, that idea of you're not really choosing Him, He has to come in and do something to you first, that bothers us, again, because of the issue of authority. You see, the lie of this world is that we have authority over our own lives. We think that we're running the show. And we may not be literally possessed by a demon like the man in this story, but in our hearts we are wrestling with the same demonic attitude. I'm in charge. We question God if something doesn't go our way. We think that God is a threat to our plans. We worry about what He's going to do to us. And the truth is that God has proven that He's willing to do whatever it takes to release people from the bondage of our own rebellion and lead us into His kingdom, even even willing to do death on a cross. And y'all, I still struggle to this day to accept the authority of Jesus in my life. Every single day I struggle with it. You know, I'm a planner, and, and I find myself thinking... If God would just stick to my plans, everything would be great, right? And there's a lot of Christians who think that they can manipulate God with their faith and with their prayers, right? I said it, I declared it, God has to do it. That's ridiculous. That's ridiculous. Whatever authority that we've been given as Christians is not meant to be used for ourselves anyway. It is for others. Just as Jesus demonstrated that. It is for others. And so start believing God for a blessing in someone else's life, and we might see some of those things happen, right? That's more how God's kingdom works. Jesus is the authority. He used His authority for others. Knowing about Jesus doesn't make him your friend. And so may, we, may he give us the grace to turn from trying to create our own path through this world and instead follow him and trust him more and more each day, trusting in his authority over our lives. Amen. And as we receive the Lord's table... It is, in fact, a demonstration of us doing just that, coming to Him with empty hands, with nothing to offer, and trusting 